in some churches, there would be horror that today here, there were flowers. Because in some churches, flowers in Lent are a no-no. They will not bring them into the body of this place. In some churches, so in a sense, it's part of the discipline. In some churches, particularly those of a more um, modern origin, Lent isn't really church at all. That you can almost go through the season with no mention of the importance of these 40 days. It poses the question, I suppose, to us as to how we see Lent. And to my mind, it always feels that Lent is appraisal time. When in a way, it's our responsibility as individuals to reflect upon how the journey is going. Part of what Lent does is it reminds us of those things like temptation that make our journey difficult. I think Lent is really about starting at the beginning of Ash Wednesday and working towards Easter Day in the hope that by the 21st of April, we are different to how we were on the 6th of March. So the living of these days is really important. It is an act of discipline, as we remind ourselves of something of our Lord's journey, and therefore pose questions to ourselves about how our journey is going and how closely we are seeking to travel with the Jesus who invites us to be his followers. So I want this morning, using these two passages, just to encourage us to think about the journey, how it's going, and listen to the wisdom of Malachi and Paul as we seek to travel onwards. So first in Malachi. I can remember many years ago, I may have told you this story, of sitting in church somewhere and listening to the then vice president of conference who was reflecting on her, her experience, I can't remember who it was, of going to Africa and coming to that point in the service where it was the collection, the offering. And to her surprise, the offering was announced, a big plate was put at the front and the assembled throng danced down the aisles put in their collection, the collection plate, and then dance back to their seats with great joy and delight. And then as the service progressed, the church treasurer, Rachel, came and counted the money while the worship was going on. And the next convenient point, having whispered into the ear of the minister, it was announced that there was not yet enough money. And so they danced down again and danced back to their seats. Now I wonder, if we sent Rachel into the vestry this morning and came back having taken her shoes and socks and counted out how much money there was and she said there wasn't enough, would you dance down the aisles to bring some more? I'll leave you to think about that. But it, it takes us this passage from Malachi. In the New International Version, the little heading they've put in to explain this passage uses the title Robbing God. Robbing 
God, and you heard as Louise read it, this conversation between God and his chosen people about the relationship and about the way in which this chosen people's relationship with God struggles because of the people and their failure to respond to the God who wishes to bless them. They decided, in a sense, to go in other directions and couldn't see what they had got wrong. And there's all this talk of bringing the tithes into the store, bringing the money into the temple, ensuring that God will respond and offer them blessings, offer them protection, security, offer them an abundance, not in a material sense, but in a spiritual sense. Malachi is writing to a people who had become comfortable. The exile had finished, the temple had been reconstructed or a new temple had been built. Life was good in many ways, but the people had yet again lost sight of God and therefore here is an invitation to think again about how we respond to God's blessing. In terms of the the money that we put into the church coffers, in terms of how we spend our time, in terms of how we use our talents within the ongoing work of the kingdom. When Rachel became treasurer, she surprised herself by going back to her standing order about how much money she puts into the church. And for a number of years, as she's told us at church meeting, about 10 years, it had not changed. Now, I'm not going to say that Rachel was robbing God or anything like that. But in a sense, it's a reminder, for we all know the cost of living is going up. Prices are going up. We all know that we're paying more for our gas and electric and things like that. And so is the church. And therefore, the invitation to us all is periodically in this period of appraisal to ask, what are we giving? Is it moving with the times or is it stuck where it used to be? To ask, how are we using our time? The invitation to come and help tidy up the mess that's over there, what will the response be? When coffee shops seek volunteers, what might the response be? And when we're looking for people to fill roles within the church, I'm longing for a new church meeting secretary because currently it's being done by volunteers and all it involves is just taking the minutes and typing them up and distributing them. Nothing more than that. But we can't find anybody but there must be someone whom that could be the ideal role in helping to serve God in this place. Malachi issues a stern warning to a people in a sense who are keeping things from God. And this season of Lent invites us to look again, not what our neighbours are doing, not even what our husband or wife is doing, but what we are doing and how 
we perhaps need to change. Not to make a great fuss about it, but to consider what God is inviting us to do at this particular time. How does our response financially, in time, in talents, what does that say about our love of God and our willingness to give to him, knowing the more we respond, the more we will be blessed? And then from Malachi, we move to Paul. And this beautiful letter to the church in Philippi. And I suppose what Paul first talks about is example, is models, is the word the Revised English Bible used, of what it is to walk the way of faith. Who are those people who have given you example that you have sought to follow? I can remember my paternal grandmother who, who lived in a two-up, two-down terraced cottage she didn't have an inside toilet until she moved into a nursing home. Life was hard, but around her were those who were surviving just on the state pension. She had the state pension and a bit of a pension from the gas board from when my granddad was alive. And quietly, she used to supplement the life of those around, us, around her by buying them things, by, by doing things with what the little that she had that was more than she had, that taught me as a young man lots of lessons, an example of faith. Then I can move on to, to my best man, Tim. And Tim's story is quite interesting. Uh, he found Jesus, courtesy of Derby County Football Club. He was at the football one day, and this must have been in the 70s, I suppose, and there was a bit of an argy-bargy going on behind him and lots of pushing and shoving. And eventually he'd had enough. And he turned round. And it must have been a left hook because he was left, he's left-handed. He turned round and he walloped the person behind him and watched a policeman collapse to the floor. <laughs> and that was the beginning of his journey to faith. Because he thought he was in big trouble. Fortunately, the policeman knew he wasn't the troublemaker. He thought he was in big trouble and it enabled him to discover grace, God's love. And he is a great, has a great ability to talk about God's love in simple, ordinary terms, starting with a punch at a football match. He is a model of faith. And then... There are people associated with this place. I remember going to see Audrey Swell not long before she died. And she was planning her funeral as Audrey would. And the psalm that she wanted read was Psalm 16 because of this line. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. She realised how fortunate her life had been. She wanted that to be celebrated when people came together once she had gone to her eternal reward. There was there that contentment that we're all invited to seek as we journey forward in God's service. 
three examples of, of models. And the question for all of us, as we look back upon our journey of faith, our involvement within the life of the church, is to ask, who are those people who show us the way? Who point out what it is to be a Christian? Yes, we have the example of Jesus, but who are the saints of our experience who are encouraging us to live in an authentic and different manner? You know, if the children came out of Sunday Crow and told you about St. Patrick and said to you, who are your examples? Who would you say? And what is the, the lingering influence of those people in where you are today and how you seek to live with our Lord? These preachers, prayers, thinkers, evangelists, doers, this host of witnesses who provide for us a model of how we should be. This Lenten time is another opportunity for us to think and to consider in the hope we can then see something that we can strive to do, how we can strive to be as we seek to pick up their example and run with it, as we encourage ourselves to be different. That's Paul's first piece of advice, is to be an example and his second piece of advice is to think about citizenship. I may have said this before, but I hate filling in forms that ask me for my nationality. I've just been doing it for some DBS forms, people who help with the wellbeing cafe. And it comes to that question, what is your nationality? And the DBS form, it says, set default to British. Now, we've just had the, the Six Nations, when England, Scotland, Ireland and Wales have played separately. And if you tell a Scot that they're British, they won't like it. If you tell a Welshman that they're British, they won't like it. Apart from Olaf. If you tell... You know, it's this thing. I don't like putting British, and I don't like putting English, because I'm not quite sure what that means either when we think about these things, because it, nationality about shared common characteristics, common language, all these sorts of things... And I always struggle with that because I don't really know what to put. Part of me wants to just put Lancastrian and see what, thank you, and see what will happen because I suppose that's how I, I identify. Because, you know, if I think of when I lived in Kent, with all due respect to anyone who comes from Kent, they're not the same as people from Lancashire. In the same way, that people from Yorkshire are not the same as people from Lancashire. And who knows what people in Buckinghamshire would be like, but we'll worry about that later. Nationality is a really hard thing in my head to define. And I'm always helped by the references in Scripture to the fact that our citizenship is in heaven. Part of me when it says nationality wants to put Christian and see what happens to the people who are sat distilling what I've put on these forms. Paul makes a big point of our citizenship being in heaven as a great sense of encouragement. What are the benefits of being British? Well, the Queen allows me to pay taxes, which is very generous of her. 
there are things like the National Health Service, education and things like that, which you know, are, in a sense, a privilege. I know that if I go abroad and, and hold my passport up, it tells me that the Queen very kindly is suggesting to foreigners that they'll allow me safe passage to their land and they will look after me while I am there. They are the benefits, I suppose, of being British. The benefits of being a citizen of heaven, though, are different. Because they talk about knowing a saviour's love. They talk about Jesus returning and bringing about transformation. Our citizenship is inherently about being different. It's not about supporting a nation when they go out to play sport or anything like that or or trying to work out how we're different to the world. It's about saying we are in the process of change. We long to be transformed. Paul to the Philippians and others uses all these examples of striving, running, seeking, putting on new clothes, whatever image you might like to use that invites us to think about what it is to be different. to be intentionally seeking God's love and recognising how he can change us. And there, in a way, is something of the story of Lent. As we begin with the Jesus who suffered temptation as we did and culminate in Good Friday, and then the joy of Easter, when suddenly there is this great transformation. Love has gained its great victory. Life, the world, is different because of what took place. And that capacity to transform is what God offers us. So maybe Lent too is a time for us to stop and think about how over our experience we have changed. What's different to how you were 20, 30 years ago? You know, you're still as good looking, I'm sure. But what's changed in the way that you respond to the world? What's changed in your journey of faith? Where has this transformation occurred? Because often it does it without us really noticing it. It's a bit like children growing up. They suddenly do it without really knowing what's happened. Where has this touch of transforming love rested in our lives and made a difference? So some questions for us that arise from where we are this morning. Who are our great examples of faith? And how are we responding to their touch upon our lives? How are we responding with our, our money, our time and our talents to God's call upon our lives? And how does our citizenship encourage us on that journey into the transformation that God is going to bring about here in this life and in the life 
that is yet to come. We have these 40 days in which to indulge in some self-appraisal in the hope that where we were on the 6th of March is different to where we will be on the 21st of April. As we look to our Lord, as we look to ourselves, as we look for the possibility of transformation in the hope that to use Malachi's phrase, by being transformed, we will discover yet more blessings. Not material things, but the signs of God's love, the outworking of his grace. And finally at the end, we are walking more closely to our Lord and therefore are necessarily recipients of his blessing. Amen.